Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right, well, as our kids head back to Kitts Church, let me invite you to take your Bible for the last time. Well, not the last time you're going to take your Bible. Turn to 1 John for the last time. Let me put it that way. Be turning to 1 John for the last time. And uh, this is uh, over the past, man, six months or so. I mean, this, uh, this book has become a friend uh, to, to me. And so it kind of feels like I'm, I'm ending a chapter this morning. As we're, uh, this is the 21st message that we've had in 1 John. So... Uh, yeah, it kind of feels like I said, feels like we're closing out a chapter. While you're turning there, let me kind of give you a little bit of an update to an announcement that, that we made last week during our monthly business meeting, and that is, um, we, so if you were here, you know that we've been approached uh, or, or are expecting, in, in, we're in discussions, let's put it that way, with Mountain View Assembly of God about potentially doing a facility swap with them. Um, and uh, so one of the things we said last week is that, and it's very early on, but throughout this month of uh, the end of February, beginning of March, we wanted to just take some time to pray that God would make his leading clear. And part of that is we wanted to set up a time to go and prayer walk through uh, Mountain View's facility. And so uh, as I visit with Pastor Anthony, we've set that up. And so Saturday, May, uh, sorry, March 10th, not May 10th, Saturday, March 10th at 10 a.m., uh, we will have the opportunity to go walk through their facility. And that, the address for that is 1923rd Street. I'm planning on sending out a, a, a postcard, so you, you will get all this information in the mail as well. Uh, but Saturday, March 10th at 10 a.m., a chance for us to just go prayer walk this facility and, and see if uh, the Lord is leading us in this way. And uh, this coming Saturday on the 3rd, they're going to be doing the exact same thing right here. They're going to be prayer walking this facility, taking a tour and and seeking out the Lord's direction. So in that, let, let me simply say I'm calling us as a congregation to pray throughout uh, th- this next month until our business meeting, the third Sunday in uh, March, just as an opportunity for us to seek the Lord's direction. And that, that if this is the Lord's leading, that, that he's leading us to, um, to literally move, uh, that, that he would make that clear for us, he would make that clear for, uh, for Mountain View as well. Um, so that's, that's our call uh, this morning. So if you will, go with me to 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. We're only going to look at one verse this morning, and uh, this will close out our time in 1 John. And if you're there, uh, stand with us, and let's read this verse together as we, uh, as we read the word of the Lord. And this is what the Bible says. Little children... Guard yourselves from idols. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here this morning. As we open up your word, I pray you would bring to our hearts and to our minds those idols that we have in in our life. And that when you bring them up, we would be quick to put them to death. That there might be nothing in our lives that take our focus and our attention off of you. There might be nothing in our lives that fights for our attention and our affections for you. And so this morning as we look at, at this verse, at this passage, we pray that you will um, bring those things to mind, 
Give us the courage to, in some cases, put things completely to death. In some cases, to rearrange our priorities so that we're not focusing on things and putting things out of their proper place in our lives. Show us how to do that today. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. Um, yeah, so, so we're only looking at one verse this morning. And so you may think that, uh, you may think that means that our time is going to be short. I assure you it will not um, because this is a weighty verse. And, and really, um, because of the context of where John's audience lived, this church in Ephesus, this is... It seems like it's a strange way to end the letter, right? I mean, you know, normally we would say, God bless you. Uh, I look forward to seeing you soon. And, and there's none of that. There's just this, uh, guard yourselves from idols. And then it stops. But if you understand the context of where uh, John's writing and, and his audience in this, in this church in Ephesus. Um, so, so this word that he uses for idol is used 11 times throughout the New Testament. And each time it's referring to a false god. All right, so, and the idea that this word conveys is, is that of like a phantom. So it's something that's not really there. Something that you might think has substance to it, but, but in the end has no substance whatsoever. And this is why Paul, uh, in 1 Corinthians 8, 4, the second half of that verse, will say this. He says, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no God but one. So, in other words, and in fact, my, my Bible has a note here in 1 Corinthians 8, 4 that says, um, when, he, when he quotes and says that an idol is nothing in the world, it could also be translated, an idol has no real existence. So he's writing to believers. He say, listen, we know that there's nothing to these statues. There's nothing to these things that other people worship because there's one true God. And yet, even with that knowledge, aren't we sometimes tempted to prop up idols ourselves. Now, maybe we don't have any, maybe you don't have like carved images sitting on your mantle or, or on your coffee table that you uh, bow down and worship. But we all have things in our lives that we're tempted to worship other than God. And so that's why before we get started this morning, I want us to, to understand this, uh, this, this big idea that I want us to attack this morning, and that's this. Idolatry is a common and critical temptation for Christians. Idolatry is a common and critical temptation for Christians. In other words, we don't have the luxury of saying, well, idolatry is something that other people deal with. I don't wrestle with it. Um, there is a reason that idolatry is addressed very first in the Ten Commandments. Right off the bat, look at this. Uh, Exodus 20, verses 3 through 6. Do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow and worship to them and do not serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the father's iniquity to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Now we know here... That, that in the first two commandments, we're told, don't have other gods besides me. Don't make an idol for yourself. So what is then, what, what's the danger of idols? What's the problem with them? Well, look at uh, what the psalmist says. Psalm 115, verses 4 through 8. 
psalmist says, Their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk. They cannot make a sound in their throats. Those who make them are just like them, as are all who trust in them. So if you look at the way the the psalmist describes these idols, he says they have mouths but they can't speak, eyes but cannot see. In other words, they're empty. There's nothing to them, and yet people were making sacrifices and praying to these cold, dead idols of wood and of stone because they thought these things had some value. Now, for John's audience in in the city of Ephesus, um, they had this temple to the goddess Artemis. Now, get this. This temple took 200 years to build. It was 420 feet long and 220 feet wide, and it was actually considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And Paul wrestled with the followers of Artemis in Acts chapter 19. And what was happening in that context, there were some silversmiths who would make these idols of this, of this goddess Artemis, and then they would sell them, and, pro- and, and business was doing really well for them. They were making great profits. So all of a sudden, Paul comes into town, and starts preaching that Artemis is a false god and that Jesus Christ is the one true way. And, and men and women start being, men, women, children start being saved. They start converting from uh, the goddess Artemis to following Christ. And as that happens, they stop buying these little statues of Artemis and the silversmith's business declines sharply. And so they get kind of mad with Paul. Say, man, what are you doing? You're coming here. You're, you're taking away all of our business because people are worshiping Jesus. They're not worshiping Artemis anymore. And suddenly when people are worshiping Jesus, they don't want this false god in their, in their house. And so they are on the verge, Acts 19 tells us, of causing a riot as they drive Paul out. Now, as Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 8, we know that that. Idols don't, the the gods that idols represent don't really exist. But here's the thing, an idol is not simply something that represents another god, right? Because if that was the case, I mean, I would say, go through your house, do you have anything you worship? No, okay, good. Don't don't worship statues. The end, let's pray, go home, right? If it was that simple, it would be wonderful. But it's not, because idolatry is much more subtle than that. So an idol, then, is anything that stands between us and Christ. An idol is anything that takes our attention off Christ and directs it elsewhere. And here's the sneaky things about idolatry. An idol can be a good thing that is given more attention or more authority in someone's life than it deserves. So in John's day, we see that, that in, in some sense, people were dealing with literal idols. That there was a, there was a big temple to a false god that, that a lot of people worshipped at. And so if, if that was a temptation in John's day, I think we need to ask this morning, what idols do we wrestle with in our own culture? And so I've, I've pulled out three things this morning. And I'm not trying to say these are the only three idols you'll ever encounter in your life. This is just me looking at John's exhortation in, 20, in, in 1 John 5.21, saying, little children, guard yourselves from idols, and saying, in our culture today, these are three 
idols we need to be aware of. And none of them in and of themselves are bad. But they they can be sneaky and they can wreck your life if you don't keep them in their proper place. All right? So here's the first one. As followers of Christ, don't worship the idols of success and stuff. I said three, really there's four because I I put two in here. But these two are very closely related. Don't worship the idols of success and stuff. Anybody watch the Olympics? Who got into the Olympics? Anybody? I'm convinced I could be an Olympic curler, all right? After watching it, like, I'm fully convinced. Um, I could attempt the half pipe on skis. I, I, I feel convinced I could make it to the first jump. Not make it through the first jump. I would be carted off in a stretcher. But I could make it to the first jump before I break every bone in my body. But, but man, I was watching curling. Finally, like curling is one of my favorite Olympic sports. Because every time I watch it, I'm like, I could do that. And, but believe it or not, don't, don't tell Michelle, okay, but I, I can run a broom. All right, I really can. I, I, could, I, I could do that well. But think about the billions of dollars that went into the last two weeks. And I'm a fan of the Olympics. I think they have a great value in in our world. Um, But but what we've seen over the past couple of weeks is people who will find their identity in their performance. In something that they might, might get to do three or four times in their entire life on that stage. Now, I was, um, my, my friend Dennis Garcia told me, uh, he challenged me, and he offered me a free cup of coffee if I could work the word twizzle into my sermon this morning. Anybody watch Ice Dancing? All right, twizzle. So, 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 so you have these couples and this ice dancing, and, and part, of, part of their program is twizzling. And the only way I know to do that, I mean, it's just like this. Like you just spin around. There. Dennis, you owe me coffee. All right. Um, <laughs> But think about like your entire, the entire basis of your value being judged by how well you can spin around on ice skates. And I'm certainly not saying that's the way that everyone is, that, that every athlete that's there is, but, but you will have people who are defined by their success or failure on that stage. Now, lest we let ourselves off the hook, are we not also tempted to be defined by our success or failure in certain areas of life? Because we live in a world that idolizes stuff. Just wait until... I don't want to put you on the spot. Actually, I'm going to put you on the spot. Anybody here have the new iPhone X? Anybody get, get the iPhone X? Nobody? Oh, you're good. There's, uh, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It's, it's cool. Um, it's, it's fun. But, but here's the thing. Even if you, like, shelled out the $1,000 or whatever it was and got the new iPhone, do you know what's going to happen next year? They're going to come out with a new model. And suddenly you will not have the coolest, sleekest cell phone anymore. You'll, and if you're, if you're chasing that as your measure of success, they keep moving the goalpost on you. It's like you're running on a treadmill and wondering, why am I never getting anywhere? 
Now, I think sometimes we're tempted to go overboard, right? And, and so uh, we're going to talk about this again here in just a second. But, but we're tempted to go overboard to the point where we'll say, well, all stuff is evil. And a lot of times what you'll hear is money is the root of all evil, right? Which is, by the way, not what the Bible says. And we'll clarify that in a second. But there's, there's been a movement within the church to say, well, if, if idolizing success and stuff is, is bad, then what we'll do is we'll idolize the lack of success and stuff. And all you're doing is dressing this thing up in a different way and still making it an idol. Money and possessions are, by and large, amoral, meaning they have no value, good or bad, in and of themselves. They can be used for bad. They can be used for good. The problem comes when we take them out of their uh, proper place and begin to idolize them. When we begin to define ourselves by our success, by our stuff. And, and the same goes for success. Look, it's not bad. I, I hope you have success in your job. The problem comes when you begin to find your identity in what you do. And so when your career takes you away from your family and your church, it might be an idol. And, and this is not exclusive to the secular marketplace. I've seen this work its way into ministry. I've seen it work its way into my own life, where my identity becomes the fact that I'm a pastor. Not in the fact that I'm a child of God, freely loved and forgiven by him. And the way that works out in my life is serving as a pastor. So here's what the Bible says, right? Uh, Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In other words, if you're trying to find your identity in God and in your stuff, you're going to be pulled in opposite directions until finally something gives. You're either going to have to let go or be torn apart by those competing desires. Second one, 1 Timothy 6.10. This is the one I misquoted a while ago on purpose. For the love of money. Not money itself. Money's amoral. Money's a requirement for the world in which we live, Right? If you're going to survive, you have to have some type of money. Money itself isn't bad. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It's not bad. It's a great tool in the kingdom of God. But if you allow yourself to be defined by the amount of money you have or the amount of stuff you have or the success you experience, you will, you will be constantly at war in your spiritual life and wondering why you're not being satisfied in Christ. It's because you're not finding your identity in Christ. You're finding yourself in something else. Don't, don't be defined by stuff that you can lose in an instant. Here's the second one. These, these, now, so that next one, that first one was kind of, okay, fine. We'll all agree with that. Don't be defined by, by your stuff. Don't be defined by your success. These next two get a little bit more hairy because they're really good things. Secondly, don't, be, don't, don't worship the idol of family. Now, hold up. How can family become an idol? Well, well just take a look at our culture. 
It's definitely an idol, particularly for parents. The success of our kids can become an idol. Uh, we have entire industries built around um, traveling baseball, traveling soccer teams, folks who shell out thousands of dollars each weekend to go stay at hotels and go watch their kids compete. Now, look, I'm all about sports, okay? I love it. But there comes a point where it's, where it's overboard. Filling the schedule every night of the week with another activity. Or how about this one? Parents who find their identity in their kids' success. That was never an issue for my parents because I wasn't any good. <laughs> but but I, remember, um, I remember some friends of mine who, who were really good, either basketball, baseball, football players. And you could just see their parents living vicariously. And their parents lived or died with every strike that their kid, every time their kid swung the bat. And the amount of pressure that those kids carried around. Because it, they weren't there because they enjoyed it. They were there because... That their parents were trying to see their kids succeed in ways they never did. See, see, listen, man. Spouses, kids, and grandkids are wonderful blessings from God. They're good gifts, but they are terrible gods. I think this is another reason that we see marriage in the shambles it is today. Because we've taken marriage and we've elevated it to the level of a fix-all. Well, marriage will fill every emptiness that I have in my life. And not just marriage, but my spouse will fill every emptiness that I have in my life. All I need is to, to be married, to find the right spouse, and suddenly they'll fill me up. And elevate our spouse to the level of an idol, to the level of a God. And you know what happens? They can't. They weren't meant to. Wonderful blessings from God, terrible gods. And so what happens? Well, if you're not meeting my needs, the problem is obviously with you. And so the answer is I'm just going to go find someone else who does what you can't do. Who, who, fills me, who fulfills me better than, than you can. Then lo and behold, a couple of years later, they found out, well, this person isn't perfect either. Everyone else but me sure does seem to be really messed up. I don't know what the problem is. <laughs> happens with spouses, happens with parents. And so, so here's what I've come to understand, right? My, my whole job as a parent is to work myself out of a job. You ever thought about that? Like my, my whole job as a parent is to get my kids to the point where they can ultimately function independently from me. That's not to say I'm, I'm going to completely remove myself from their life, but get them to the point where, where they're able to move out one day, Lord willing, right? That, that, that they will not constantly be relying on me. And, and here's the thing. My value as a person is not tied to my kids. My, my success as a parent is not based on what accolades my kids earn or what kind of college they get into or what kind of job they land. I'm learning more and more that my success as a parent is found in whether or not I'm raising my kids to love God and to love other people well. So this is what the Bible says about, uh, about parents, right? So, so look here, Luke 14, 26. This is out of Jesus' mouth himself. Now great, great crowds were traveling with him. 
So he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, now hold up just a second, Jesus. You're saying, I want, uh, if I'm going to follow you, I've got to hate my family. So, so, so let's, let's talk about what he's saying here. What he's saying here is that following him has a cost. And following him might mean leaving family. And if that's not a risk you're willing to take, you can't follow Christ. Gets worse. Uh, <laughs> Luke 9, 59 and 60. Then he said to another, follow me. Lord, he said, first let me go bury my father. Seems like a, seems like a reasonable request, right? But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Now some commentators, when they get to this verse, they'll say, we're not given any indication that, that this man's father has already passed away. So, so in fact, what he very well may be requesting is, Lord, let me go, let me go take care of the family business. And then once my father's gone, once my responsibilities there are done, then I'll come follow you. Instead, Jesus is calling him to the same response that he called his disciples. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus walks up and, and Peter and his bro brother Andrew are there by the, by the seashore. They're mending their nets and Jesus walks up and says, follow me. And what does it tell us they do? It says, immediately they left their nets and they followed him. If you're tied more to your family, if you're, if you're worried about disappointing your family because you're going to follow God's call in your life, that, that's an indication that I'm placing my family in a place that they're not supposed to be. Family are good gifts from God. They're terrible gods if we take them out of place. Here's the last one. Don't worship the idol of religion. And this one's really tricky. So a family, if you thought family was hairy, wait till we start talking religion. But because religion gets really hairy because oftentimes religion looks a lot like serving God. But if we aren't careful, religion can actually keep us from experiencing real life in Jesus Christ. Because religion so often says, this is what I must do. And a relationship with Christ says, this is what Christ has done. And we can easily become fixed on religion rather than on our relationship with Christ, much like the Pharisees did. And this is what Jesus told the Pharisees in John 5, 39 and 40. He says, you pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them. See, what they had done is elevated the scriptures to the status of God. You pour over these things because you think your identity and your life is found in them. And yet they testify about me but you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. So you're so wrapped up in your own religion that you're missing me. You're so wrapped up in knowing and in studying the scripture that you're missing me, the one whom the scriptures point to. This can happen when we find our identity in our ministries at church or in how many Bible verses we know can happen when we 
We find our identity in how long we've been a member of a certain church. Right? And these are all great things. Nothing's wrong with that. I praise God for people who've been members here at this church longer than I've been alive. But if that's your identity, you're missing the boat. Years ago, I remember hearing a story about a lady who received an award for her ch- from her church for perfect attendance at Sunday school. Now, that's a, that seems kind of weird, right? We don't, really, we don't really give those out anymore. The reason she got an award is because she had been, she had something like 50 years of perfect attendance at Sunday school. And what I mean by that is never missed a Sunday in 52, or 50 years. So take that, 52 times 50, it's like 2,500, is that right? My math's not really, just, just think about that for a second. That many weeks. And on one hand, we should, we should recognize their commitment to the local church. On the other hand, does she never take a vacation? And, and, and again, I don't know all the details, so I'm not, I'm not trying to judge. I'm just saying, like when I see that, I have questions. Like, does she not have grandkids that she went to go see? This is a really dangerous idol for ministers, right? This is, this is one that I, I mean, so I, I've talked a little bit about how if I'm not careful, I can find my identity in my kids, right? If they, if they do good, then that I look really good. But this, this one's a real danger for me because in my case, my life tends to be wrapped up in the local church, right? Literally, I mean, so, so my livelihood comes from the local church, So if I'm not careful then, I'll begin to find my identity in the fact that I'm the pastor of First Baptist Church rather than as being a child of God. As when I'll find my identity in in being a pastor rather than a child freely loved and forgiven. So what I'm learning slowly is that in my own life, I've got to find that, my identity in that first. I'm a child of God. Then I'm a husband. Then I'm a father. Then I'm a pastor. That's, that's the level of priorities. Some days I do well. Other days, not so much. This is a heart check I have to do often on myself. Love kids' programs, right? But, but, but one, of the things that, one of the dangers, I think, in some kids' programs um, is we teach kids we teach kids the values of memorizing scripture without teaching them the value of loving the God who wrote those scriptures. So this morning I just want to call you to, to reflect on your life. Look, none of us is immune to this idolatry, right? So what things are you allowing into your life that are stealing your attention and your affection from Jesus Christ? What are the things that you tend to find your identity in rather than in Christ? And so maybe this morning, you need to simply repent. You need to simply come and ask God to take your eyes off of stuff and put them back on Him. Maybe this means means taking a good hard look at your calendar, rearranging schedules, rearranging priorities to give Him primacy in your life.
You know, if, if success and stuff can become an idol in us, sometimes the fear that we're not going to have success, that we're not going to have stuff, can become an idol. We can allow just the opposite, that fear to creep in and to take primary place. Just like I said a couple of weeks ago, you know, if you, if you have time to worry, you have time to pray. <laughs> Prayer is just a shifting of our worries off of ourselves and onto, onto God. Maybe you're here this morning and you would say, man, I'm, I'm not sure I've ever, um, I've ever turned to faith in Christ. I'm not sure I've ever turned from sin and trusted in Christ. And today would be the day that you would, you would lay your yes down on the table and say, I'm all in for Christ Jesus. I'm willing to leave whatever I need to leave. I'm ready to, I'm ready to follow wherever he leads me. You just want to come spend some time at the altar and, and pray and ask God to rearrange priorities in your life. Knock down some, some idols that you set up. Maybe even reprioritize and take some things out of places that you've put them. However the Lord's leading you this morning, you respond. Let's pray. Father, I, I resonate this morning with the words of John Calvin that the human heart is an idol factory. That we have so many things in our lives and in our world that fight for our attention. And I know often I'm guilty of taking even good things, blessings that you've given me, giving them too much prominence, too much attention, too much affection, turning them into idols. So I repent of that this morning. I pray I would never find my identity in anything else other than the fact that I'm a child of God, freely loved and freely forgiven through your grace. For those of us in the room, I pray the same thing that you would you'd bring to our hearts and our minds this morning those things that we've placed in, in our lives that, that take prominence over you. Those things we have a tendency to worship rather than worshiping you. If there are things in our lives we need to completely remove that you would do that, there's rearranging that needs to be done, you'd come in and clean house. We'd give you access to every corner of our lives to root out idols. And I pray the life of our church would be marked by a willingness to follow wherever you lead and holding loosely to the things of this world. that our lives would not be marked by idolatry. And help us to, as, as John commanded us, to guard our hearts in this culture against the schemes of the devil who wants to subtly come in and convince us that our lives won't be complete until we have some new shiny toy. Will you help us to recognize that for the lie that it is? To not seek our fulfillment in things that we have, but in you alone. Oh, 
maybe more than anything else we've talked about, we need your help here. We need your grace and your mercy and your loving forgiveness for those times that we fall. We thank you for Jesus Christ and for sending him to be the sacrifice on the cross for us so we can know that even in those moments where we're distracted, where our hearts are are tempted by something else and we turn and give that thing more attention than we should, that you're not done with us, but that you lovingly call us to turn from sin, to trust in Christ, and to keep walking with you, to repent day in and day out. Show us how to do this. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening and may God bless you this week.